I didn't do a video this week because we're here, but I am recording the audio. So uh, for those that aren't here, uh, the audio for the sermons every Sunday is actually um, on a website called Anchor FM. If you're not aware of that, you can go back and listen to previous sermons. I do believe that the information is on the newsletter and it's now in the bulletin. Uh, so for those who still are not meeting with us, they still have an opportunity to listen to the sermon. So I just wanted to, to announce that. And you can go back and listen to the previous ones as well. Uh, this morning, and once again, this was not intentional. This just happened to be when it falls. But this morning, we're going to talk about the cure for anxiety. And if ever there was a time in our history, or in my lifetime, I can't think of a, another event in my life that has been like this situation we've been going through. And I remember SARS, I can remember all kinds of epidemics and outbreaks and things throughout my life, and my life hasn't been that long. Some of you who are older can remember other epidemics and things that went through. We had the swine flu not too terribly long ago, but I've never seen anything like this in my life. Um, and we need to take it seriously. We need to be smart. We need to be serious. We need to trust God. And we do need to understand that there are people trying to use this to create fear and anxiety. How many of you have felt some fear or anxiety or some stress because of what's going on right now? I've got friends that can't go to work because of this. And financially, they're wondering how in the world they're going to make it. Got friends that own their own businesses that aren't able to work, and they're wondering, is my business going to survive? They're anxious. And for some of them, there doesn't appear to be any end in sight in some places. I do believe we're supposed to go. Yes, ma'am. That, and she actually went exactly where I'm going. The suicide rate in our country is spiking right now. In places where stay-at-home orders, where people can't leave, where they can't go out and have human contact, we're seeing the suicide rate go out the roof. People are anxious. People are concerned. Imagine what you would feel if you didn't have your faith to cling to right now. I have a hope, and I have. that doesn't mean I don't have anxiety, I don't have fear, I do. I at least have the hope that God, and I know God is in control, and I know that He's going to get us through this, but imagine if you did not have that to cling to right now, what you might be feeling, and what you might be going through. And in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins by talking about earthly possessions, and let's just be honest, how many of our anxieties and worries are tied up into material things? Not necessarily the pursuit of them, but if you have a family, you have to figure out how am I going to raise my family? How am I going to take care of them? How am I going to provide the things that they need? And in a situation like this, if you can't work, when you go to the grocery store and there's no milk and there's no food, it creates stress and anxiety. And it's no wonder that there are people in a panic and there's no wonder that there are people that people aren't freaking out. And just think about the ones that do not have the faith that we do to get us through this. And we're still stressed, even with the faith and even with the hope we have, we're still stressed over this and are still anxious about where this is going. Beginning in verse 19, Jesus has just finished the section where he's telling people how they're supposed to give cheerfully to meet people's needs. He's talked about the attitude we're supposed to have when we pray and when we fast. 
And all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, these red letters that we've been looking at, Jesus is talking about our attitudes behind the things that we do. We're supposed to practice acts of righteousness. There are a lot of people who say, well, Christianity is not a religion. Well, I understand what they mean by that, but it is a religion because a religion is something that you practice. It's a discipline. We're supposed to meet. We're supposed to give. We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to worship. We're supposed to be religious people, but we need to have the proper attitudes. And that's what Jesus is dealing with in these sections here. Because He was dealing with a group of people who were religious that had the wrong attitudes and the wrong motivations. It's amazing how timely some of the things Jesus said 2,000 years ago are still today. Think about your life. For those of us who have lived a little bit longer, perhaps we're at a different phase, but I can remember when I first got married and I was working, trying to, I wanted to buy a house. I wanted to do this. And I, I worked two jobs at one point, believe it or not, trying to make that money so I could get those things. And look what Jesus says in verse 19 of chapter 6. He says, Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. How many of you have ever had something stolen from you? Something that you worked hard for? How did it feel when somebody took your stuff? Not very pleasant. It's not fun. It's offensive. It's a violation. I don't know if I've ever had anything destroyed by moths. But have you ever packed up something away and years later you went to go get it and weather or time or something had destroyed it? I can remember old newspapers and magazines that I had saved from when I was a kid and I pulled them out a few years ago. They were packed over at my dad's place outside in a non-climate controlled building. And you can imagine what they looked like when I opened the box. They're ruined. They're gone. And nostalgia, that kind of hurt. But Jesus says if, if you're collecting things here on earth, physical, material things, then there's nothing wrong with having stuff. There's nothing wrong with having cars and houses or things. Once again, it's the attitude in which we pursue those things or the attitude in which we hold on to those things. Robin and I lost all of our wedding photos years and years ago in a move. And for, and for a long time, that disturbed me. It really bothered me. Because those are things we can't replace. Can't go, I mean, we can go have them taken again, but it's not going to look like what we looked like in 1991. Although that may be better because I wouldn't have that Billy Ray Cyrus haircut in it. But for years, it bothered me because that was something I can't get back. And I'll be honest with you, I still miss it. There's enough of them around that I can see those pictures. But you know what? That's just stuff. Those are just things. And I miss them, but they're just things. What Jesus says in verse 20, He says, instead of worrying about collecting things here on earth, instead of putting things in storehouses and saving up, He's like, worry about riches and treasures in heaven. And there's a lot of speculation as to what Jesus may be talking about here. There's the idea found in Scripture that we will have different levels of reward in heaven based upon how faithful we have been here on earth. Jesus says if you want to accumulate riches, if you want to store up things for yourself, store up things in the spiritual realm that will matter for all eternity. Where you don't have to worry about moths and rust. 
A thief's certainly not going to storm into heaven and steal your riches from heaven. He's like, those are the things you need to worry about in this life. That doesn't mean you don't work and take care of your family. It doesn't mean you don't have a house or a vehicle. But Jesus says in verse 21, and this is an important verse. This is one of those verses, if, the, if you're an underliner or a highlighter, this is a good one to remember. Jesus says, where your treasure is, the riches that you're pursuing, the things that you want. He's like, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The question we have to ask ourselves, and I have to ask myself this too, the preacher likes stuff. We, we were at a couple of gun stores yesterday, and you can ask those guys. I'm like, man, that's Smith & Wesson. That's a nice, that's a $1,000 gun. It's like, give me $1,000, James. And there's nothing wrong with liking stuff. I would have been more in trouble if we'd have gone to a guitar shop. But there's nothing wrong with liking things. But if my whole life is a pursuit of acquiring those things... And that's my motivation. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, I like that gun or that bow or that guitar or that car or whatever it is that you like because we're all different. And you know what, I'm going to work and I'm going to save my money. I'm not going to go into debt for it and charge it. I'm going to save my money. I'm going to work hard for it and then I'm going to take care of it. I believe that's a godly principle. But if all I do it's like, I, I can't stop doing anything until I get it. i got to get it. i got to make that mine. And you have to ask yourselves, where is your heart? You could be pursuing the exact same thing. Two people could have their eye on the exact same item. And for one person, it would be perfectly acceptable because they're going about it in a godly manner. They understand. And then for another person, it would be an idol. Because that's all they're about is getting whatever that is. Jesus continues in verse 22. He says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? And I always wonder, why is that there right here in the middle? Because it splits up a section that seems to be talking about money. But keep in mind what he just said. The way you view things, the manner in which you are pursuing them. You see those things with your eyes. We saw a bunch of stuff yesterday that looked cool. And I don't think any of us there were going, how can I get that? I mean, we were dreaming a little bit. It's okay to do that. But none of us were plotting and scheming about how am I going to get that. Looking at the exact same things. Once again, it's the attitude. It's the motivation in your heart. Two people can look at the exact same thing. And one person can formulate a godly plan and approach it with the right attitude. And the other person, like I said, it becomes an idol. I'll do anything to get that. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about. Our eyes take in these things and it's not the thing that comes into your eyes. It's your mind. It's the motivation in your heart. That makes these things bad? If you're looking at things with the wrong attitude, he says if your eye's bad, if you're looking at things and you're lusting after them, or you covet them, saying, I'll do whatever it takes to get that, then something that is perfectly fine and acceptable now becomes sinful because of your attitude. And then he says, You can't serve two masters. 
He's like, if you're living here, and remember, this is in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching people how to be kingdom citizens. It started with the Beatitudes in the very first one. You remember what it was? You guys have heard it already a couple of times now. The very first Beatitude, anyone know what it is? Blessed are the poor in spirit for what? Theirs is the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. That's where you start is changing your attitude. When John the Baptist was preaching, you remember what he said? Repent, the kingdom of God is coming. And then Jesus came and he says, repent, the kingdom of God has come near. Change the way you think. And here Jesus is continuing to build on everything he said up to this point. He says, you can't have two masters. You can't serve two kings. You can't be dual citizens in two different kingdoms. You can't do it. Now my nieces, they're dual citizens. They're citizens of Ghana because their dad is Ghanaian and they're citizens of the United States because their mom's an American citizen. They're both but you cannot, and this is a hard lesson. This is a lesson we all struggle with. This is a lesson we all have to stop and remind ourselves of. This is a lesson that the Holy Spirit will beat us over the head with until we understand it. And I don't know that we truly understand it completely while we are still here. Hopefully every day we get a little closer to understanding it. But Paul says we are not citizens of this world. Our citizenship is somewhere else. Jesus says, don't store up treasures and things here on this earth because it's all going to get burned up. And he says, you can't have two masters. You'll serve one and neglect the other. And in this context, he's talking about material possessions. He said, you can't serve God in the pursuit of money or material possessions. And that's true no matter what kingdoms we're talking about. If it's a relationship and you put that relationship before God, you're serving that kingdom. There's nothing wrong with being politically interested in things like that, but if you're more worried about that than the kingdom of heaven, then you're serving a different master. And Jesus says, if you are part of my kingdom, if you are truly a disciple, if you're truly following me, and if you're truly a Christian, then my kingdom is number one, and I should come before all things. And that is something every single one of us struggle with, if we're honest. But we have to get to that point where everything in this world, even the necessities of life, which is where he's going here. I think he addresses this issue first because this is what causes us so much anxiety. How am I going to make ends meet? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? Look what he says there in verse 25. And whenever you have these conjunctions, these words, he's like, don't store up treasures here on earth. They're not going to last. Be careful how you pursue things, what your eyes take in. We sing that little song, be careful little eyes, what you see. Make sure you got the right attitude. Make sure you're serving the right master. He's like, because you can't serve me and serve something else at the same time. You can't. You might claim to, but you can't. He says, therefore, because everything I've been telling you, now listen, don't worry about your life. How many of us worry about things in our life? I got my hand up. I'm being honest. I'm not going to lie here. How many of us worry about something? Man, I thought when my kids got older, I'd stop worrying so much. I worry more about my grown kids than I ever did when they were little. Got a five-year-old grandson. If you don't think I don't worry about that youngin going on in this world, we've got folks in our congregation going through stuff. I worry about them. What's going to happen? 
So how does Jesus tell us? And Jesus is fully human. He understood these things because He's human. How can He tell us don't worry when He knows we're going to worry? Once again, I think it goes back to the attitude. Is there a difference, and this is a question, you can say yes or not. Is there a difference between good worry and bad worry? I think so. We have to be careful how we define words. Jesus is talking about this crippling anxiety where you're so consumed by worry and fear and doubt that you can't function. Because when you get controlled by that, what you do, if we're honest, is we stop trusting. You can, I trust that the Lord's going to take care of my kids. I pray for them every day by name, and I'm like, Lord, they do things I, I don't like, but I trust that you're going to watch out for them. And I worry about them, but I trust God. I think that's perfectly fine. But if I sit there and wring my hands and lose sleep and can't focus on anything but worry and doubt and fear, then am I really trusting God to take care of those things? Sometimes, and man, this is a whole lot easier to say than it is to practice. Sometimes we just have to say, God, I have to trust you. And that's hard. And in a time like this where there's so much doubt and anxiety, it's really hard to say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to work this out. we got some folks sitting in this room going through some heavy stuff right now. Dealing with their own personal health issues. Dealing with loved ones with personal health issues. Worrying about how they're going to find the money or the insurance or something to take care of it. I'm leaving in a month and I don't know what I'm going to do for a living when I get down there. And if you don't think that doesn't cross my mind, I'll worry about who's going to come here and continue to serve here. And yes, I worry about it, but I'm trying to trust God, that He will work these things out. What is our verse we go to? Romans 8, 28. I believe it. But sometimes it's hard to believe that. It's hard not to be anxious and not to worry, especially when you can't see the light at the end of the darkness. But Jesus says, don't worry. Don't stress out so much. He's like, and look what he's talking about here. He says, don't worry about what you will eat or what you'll drink or about your body or what you'll wear. Isn't life more than all that stuff? And then he uses examples from nature. You see a parallel account of this in Luke chapter 12. We're not going to turn there, but Luke 12, Jesus is basically telling these same things. And he uses the exact same illustrations. And if you want to write the reference down for later, it's Luke 12, 22 through 34. But he uses two illustrations in both of those passages. He's like, look at the birds. In Luke 12, he mentions specifically the ravens. Look at the ravens. One of our devotions over the last couple of weeks was his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I love to watch birds. They had a wind chime out at New Beginnings yesterday, and the hummingbirds kept flying up to him thinking it was a feeder. So that he went and got the feeder and put it up, and I've been watching those hummingbirds for the last two days. They're neat little animals. My favorite birds, and they don't have them down south, but I love orioles. They are absolutely beautiful. I love to see that black bird with that streak of orange. And the thing that amazes me, if you're over in Troy at the right time, you see the bald eagles. Impressive. And Jesus says, look at the birds. They're not worried about that stuff. I feed them. They find something to eat. The birds don't worry about it. Just look at the wildflowers. 
They don't stress about whether there's going to be enough rain or if there are going to be enough nutrients in the soil. He's using easy-to-understand imagery for people that lived in an agricultural society. He's like, you guys work the land. You guys work out. Do the birds seem to be concerned about whether they're going to eat today? No, they're just birds and they live. The flowers just grow because I care about them and I take care of them. And Jesus says, don't you think Creator God, who created all of this, and mind you, not only did He create it, He sustains it. He said, if God cares about the birds, and God cares about the wildflowers that are eventually just going to be cut up and thrown and burned in fire, if He cares about those things, don't you think He cares about you? Out of all of creation, if you go back and read in Genesis, the days of creation, at the end of everything, he said, it's good. Except for one time. He looked at man, and what did he say? It's very good. We're the only thing created in God's image. We are the crown jewel of creation. And if God takes care of His creation, as hard as we try to mess it up, If He cares about birds and the animals and the flowers and all that stuff, don't you think He cares about the pinnacle of His creation? And that's what Jesus is reminding us. Don't you think He cares about you? So why do you waste your time worrying? Verse 27, this is another one if you're like an underliner or a highlighter. Can any of you add one moment to your lifespan by worrying? Is worrying going to make you live any longer? Actually, what medicine and science teaches us is a good chance it's going to make you live less. You can worry yourself right into an ulcer or a heart attack or a stroke. The chances are the more you're anxious and worry about things, you're actually going to shorten your life. And add to that the mental and emotional distress that come along with those things. I mentioned earlier the suicide rate has spiked. During all this stay at home and this isolation, we were not created to be shut up in a room by ourselves. We're supposed to have contact. God created Adam and he saw Adam by himself. And what did he say? That's not good. We're made for fellowship. And God understands what we're going through. Verse 30, he says, if, if, if God clothes the grass more beautiful than Solomon's temple... If God takes care of the birds and they don't have to worry, He says, won't He do much more for you? And look what He says there. You of little faith. That's hard for me to swallow sometimes because sometimes I worry and I fret and I'm anxious. And you know what? I know better. That doesn't excuse it. I still worry. But when I give in to worry and when I let it overcome me, what does Jesus say that means? I'm lacking. I'm lacking faith. That may offend some people. It may upset some people. But I mean, I'm looking in the mirror and I'm having to leave when you're stressing over some of this stuff. When you're losing your mind over things that honestly you can't control because a lot of the things we worry and stress over, we have no control over it. We're not going to change things. He's like, not only are you making yourself sick, You're just telling God, hey, I'll trust you with this stuff, but I'm going to hold on to this. I don't think you can figure this out. I don't know about you, but that's pretty arrogant of me to think that 
when I'm dealing with the God who created everything. If I can't let go of it, and I admit this is a lot easier to stand up here and preach than it is to practice. I'm preaching to myself more than anybody else in this room. When I look at God and say, I have to worry about that. I have to stress about that. You don't understand. I've got to be consumed with that. I'm telling God, you're not big enough to handle it. So I'll keep this for myself. And what I've done there, instead of worshiping money over God or a relationship over God, who have I made my God? I made myself God. Jesus sums it up, and this is how we'll sum it up. I kind of like the way the King James Version puts it, but I don't have the King James Version up here. But verse 33, Jesus sums up this teaching on possessions and and striving after them and worrying about things, worrying we're going to get stuff. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things, everything you need, notice it doesn't say want, the things that you need will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's almost funny if you think about it. He's like, why are you worrying about tomorrow? You've got to get through the day first. And if you don't trust me and lean on me, you're not going to get through the day and you're already worrying about something that hasn't even gotten here. How many of us worry about things that haven't even gotten here yet? We look off down the road and say, oh, that's coming up. And we already start to stress and worry, and it's not even here. And we're already telling God, I don't know if I can trust you with that when it gets here. And Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. Now, that does bring an interesting question. And this is how we'll close. And keep, keep it in context of what Jesus has been teaching. We just had a sermon on giving and praying and fasting. Are there believers who struggle to make ends meet? Are there believers, and I'm not people that just say call themselves believers, but are there devout Christians who struggle financially and struggle to make ends meet? Who are doing their best to seek first the kingdom of God and for some reason it seems like everything's just set against them? The question is, well, Jesus says if you seek first the kingdom of God, then... He'll provide this stuff. And I used to approach this verse thinking that somehow God would just magically make your stuff fall out of heaven. I was looking for a miracle there. And when it didn't show up, I'm like, well, Jesus must not have meant that. But what I'm learning, and I've learned it through experience. I've learned it by being on the receiving end. You know how God, most of the time, I'm not saying that He doesn't miraculously do stuff because He does. He's a God of miracles. He'll blow your mind. But the way God provides the things that you need most of the time, you know how He does it? Look around you. He does it through kingdom believers living out the kingdom. When they give for the right reasons to meet people's needs. When they're not pursuing things to store up things for themselves, but they go, how can I help someone else? I can't tell you how many times I was worrying about something that was going to get taken care of and somebody sitting in this room took care of it. In six and a half half years, if nothing else, I've had some issues with cars. But I've never had trouble getting somewhere because somebody, in fact, I'm driving somebody's Jeep right now. 
Sometimes God doesn't magically drop it out of the sky. But He might use you or use me to bless somebody else. And I think that's how He does it. Not only does He provide for you when you seek the kingdom above all things, when you're seeking the kingdom above all things, you know what you're doing? You're providing for those that you can. James says, faith without works is dead. And you remember how he illustrated that passage? You see a brother who is hungry or needs something to wear and you don't do it. Jesus told a parable about the sheep and the goats. He separated the righteous from the, the unrighteous. And the only difference was what? I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I needed clothing. You gave me something to wear. I was in prison and you visited me. If we seek the kingdom of God above all things and His righteousness, we can trust that God will provide. But what that does require is for us to seek first the kingdom of God and then give generously and meet the needs of others and put our faith in action. Right there in chapter 7. And this is the preview for next, this is the preview, the coming attraction for next Sunday. He says, asking it'll be given, seeking you'll find, knocking the door will be open. And that's how we're going to close next week, these red letter sermons. We have a challenge as believers, and we live in a really interesting time, so we have to get creative. We have opportunities. Every single one of us have an opportunity to put God's kingdom first and to meet the needs of other people. You can ask these guys at New Beginnings, how many times does somebody give something to that ministry out of the blue? Dustin gets phone calls all the time saying, I want to bless the ministry. I'll do this. I'll give you this. How many of you have been blessed by the generosity of someone else? You didn't ask for it, but somebody, because they were seeking first the kingdom of God, lived their faith out. That's our challenge this morning. First of all, to trust that God's going to provide. And number two, to follow Him in such a way that we may be the answer to that prayer. Let's pray.